Am I on? I'm on. Yes, okay. In fact, my card they gave me says to the Grand Pastor Bob. So <laughs> thank you for the card. <laughs> Great to be here and see what God is doing. And uh, growth is part of the Christian life, all right, personal and church. So I know you're excited about growth, but when it happens, then people start griping. <laughs> you got what you wanted, you got growth, but with growth comes problems. But it's fun to work out the problems because when you come out on the other side, you got a bigger church, you got a bigger building, you got whatever you've been wanting. And then comes problems. Well, now I feel distant from everybody. Well, just get in there and start meeting more people. Okay? I mean, there's always things you can gripe about, but why not keep it on the things that God has done? I mean, I look back at it, and I mean, tremendous things happened at our church. And I mean, I look back on it with just fond memories. And God's working my life today, even greater things than ever inside of me and in a personal ministry. But I would not change the past for anything. In fact, just the growth that came was incredible. And there was even times of setback. But you know what? You work through the setback and you grow faster on the other side of it. So just good, you know, keep your eyes on the Lord and all the new people coming in. And remember, growth also means new people are getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed and delivered. So anyway, it's good to see what Rick and Joanne have done here and the Lord has done. But just following the Word of God. You keep a good balance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you can't do anything but grow. And so that's what I appreciate about this church. Um, just, uh, and many people too that used to go to the church in Tulsa, welcome to Tulsa too here or, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's not, it's just Jesus, okay? You follow his word and anybody can do it. And uh, so anyway, some things back on the table that by theology simplified, for those of you who have it, you know, it just takes and breaks down the word of God simply. I don't like complicated things. I won't teach it till it gets simple. And I believe Jesus taught simple people, simple ways. I mean, if he got over their head, I mean, I could just imagine he was teaching some days and some people's eyes got glassy, like, huh, what's that? I have, the people do it to me too. So you stop and throw something simple in. You talk about throwing a little bit of leaven into some bread and all the women go, yeah, I understand that. Throw a net into the water, all the fishermen say, yeah, I, I get that. Put a seed in the ground, the farmers all say, I get that. So just putting in ways people can understand takes the complication out of it. People make it complicated. I don't think God invented the word justification. I think somebody just translated the word that way. So bring it back out and make it simple. So there's eight things in here that are foundational teachings that are just made simple so you can understand it. Rising out of the pit is the story of Joseph and how that God turned his life around, blessed him. I think he's the only person in the Bible that basically we can't find anything wrong with him, a type of Jesus Christ. And it seemed like in everything that happened to him, he handled it right which tells you he's not Jesus, so you can do it too. I'm not, I'm not trying to be Jesus. He's my goal eventually, but I don't think I'll quite get there here. But I look at Joseph and think, look, here's a human being that got that close to it. So that's a great story. These two books on Hebrews and Galatians, I, I, when I first did this, I never thought about even mentioning it when I wrote the books, but I was studying one day and I, it really bothered me because authors say the same thing about it. This book was written by Hebrews, uh, Hebrews was written by Paul. It is so obvious when you read through it that Paul wrote it, but he doesn't have his name on it. How come in every book he wrote, it starts out with Paul, an apostle, not of men or of man, but by God the Father, and all the things that go with it. But how come in this one book of Hebrews did not he bring that up? And so people say, well, yeah, it's in there, but maybe he just didn't want anybody to know he wrote the book. Well, then why write Timothy, my friend that's in prison with me, or, or all these things that Paul went through that's mentioned in the book of Hebrews? It's because I was reading through the best author I found on the authorship of Hebrews was Finus Dake. 
And he brought out things. I went and looked him up later, and what he said was true. He said that the book of Galatians is the introduction to the book of Hebrews. At the end of Galatians, something is said that people get all upset about, and that was the fact he said, you see what a large letter I have written to you with my own hand. And so people say, well, that just means he was blind, almost blind, had to write these gigantic letters on there, you know. How do you know he was not blind, okay? He might have had other problems in life, but that was not one of them. And so that was not the issue. So they try to make that to make it, you know, the healing isn't for everybody. But that's not the case. He said, you see what a large letter I have written? It's because the book of Hebrews was attached to the book of Galatians, and that makes it the largest book of the New Testament. Larger than, I mean, First and Second Timothy or the book of Romans, it makes it that large of a book. And the reason why is the same theme written to, uh, to Gentiles and to Jews. That's the difference between the books. So one flows right into the other one. And, and so Hebrews just starts out, God who at different time periods, different manners, spoken time past, has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So it just flows right from one book into the other. And so it's great to read one book, go into the other, because you say, oh, I, I don't understand, how could this book be part of this book when this one just gets into all the, I mean, chapter 9 is complicated. I mean, with the types and shadows and the tabernacle and this, this you know, shovel meant this and this particular thing meant that. It's because he was not writing to the same group of people. This group wouldn't understand it. This group would. So that's why the two books are great to buy together and uh, study one right after the other. You say, you're just doing that to sell books. Absolutely true. Okay, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that, okay? Great to be with you today. Open up in the Bible with me, the Word of God. I am here for the minister's conference this week. Looking forward to it. I always look forward to it, to minister and uh, just to see friends. Won't heaven be wonderful? Filled with friends we haven't seen, that some died here on earth long before we did or whatever, or we died before they did, and so we'll get to see them in heaven and know that we'll never part. So heaven's going to be wonderful, but in the meantime, I know things are rough in our country. They're rough around the world. I'm talking to people, ministers in different countries, and listen, we've got it. Some have it much, much worse than we do. And they're all talking about the same thing. This is a time for revival, but it's also we're looking forward and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And so we have great things to look forward to in the midst of bad situations. But you know what? It didn't take all this bad situation in our country to make us realize there's always been bad situations, but there's always something you can focus on in the midst of it. Get your eyes off the problems and get your eyes on the answer. I read the end of the book, We Win. But I've also been through many circumstances that when I got to the end, I won. And so Satan is only powerful for a short season. God is all-powerful. And he's fighting his best because he knows he's, his sentence is coming to pass here very soon. I've had Christians say, well, Jesus defeated him. Why is he still here? It's because he hasn't been sentenced yet. Okay? Yes, he was caught. Yes, he was openly displayed before everybody. But he hasn't gone to prison yet. But it's waiting. It's coming. Okay? In the meantime, he's doing his best to try to overthrow all of that. And yet the word of God declares it will come. And the thing I need you to understand, too, is I know there's many people saying, well, I wish I hadn't been born during this time. Wish I'd have been earlier when things were better and, oh, the 50s were wonderful. Wouldn't have been great to live during the 50s and then die when the 60s came along, you know, <laughs> or something like that, you know, because you can see where a lot of these problems began. But, again, I'm going to stop and tell you something. You were born for such a time as this. This is your time period. 
God wouldn't have put you here. Listen, you didn't choose this time. He did. He chose the times and boundaries of your habitation. Acts 17. Paul said that in one of his sermons. He said, God should, not you, God did. So he has a purpose for you being here in this time period. So quit going into the house, closing the doors, running the blinds down, closing everything, and sitting there just shaking in fear. This is a time to stand up because what God's telling you is, is that you can handle the problems that are coming. And there's going to be a great revival. We're in the midst of, of the starting of it where many, many souls are going to be saved. I believe that even when Jesus comes during the tribulation, that will be the greatest time of evangelism the world has ever, ever seen. So good times are coming. And uh, just keep rejoicing in God. Satan's temporary and God's eternal. Amen. Yes. All right. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I just want to bring you up to some date on some, just some things I've been studying in the Word of God that are just so refreshing. Things I've seen before but new insights into them. Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2 says this. You're familiar with it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. The word forget not simply means to remember. Let me tell you something about your memory. Your memory is part of your soul. And it's there for two major reasons why God placed it there. The purpose of your soul is to, number one, remind you of the promises of God because your memory is there. Your memory is part of your soul. It's the storage place for when you study God's Word, it's put in there. I like to think of it this way. Your memory is your portable Bible. You don't have it with you, but you can remember it. And draw it up and get as much faith from it. See, it's part of your faith life. To remember a promise of God in what I like about the memory is on your paper, you can't, you know, on your, your Bible there or your computer or whatever you look at it, you can't just erase something and, and write something into it. I often tell people make notes and they go, well, you know, they hold up their computer. It's hard to write notes in it. Well, you can do that in your, in your memory. You can pull that thing out and digest it and, and switch the words around and look at the meanings of it and grab revelation out of it. It's also good because from your memory also comes not just the promises, but how they have worked in your life before. Those are called testimonies. The word you remember brings up your faith, but the testimonies get you excited that if God did that before, he's going to do it again. It helps you get your eyes off the problems and back on the promises of God and simply bring out this verse of Scripture again, forget not all His benefits. That goes right with the Word. The benefits are how God has brought you through before. It's interesting how people fall apart in the midst of a problem and don't stop to remember, I've been through worse. This isn't anything compared to the time when you know all hell broke loose, the house was blown away and I'm standing on a foundation like many of my friends are in Florida right now. And there's such despair, even among Christians down there, like, what are we going to do? Well, I guess God fell off the throne. I guess the promises don't work anymore. Get your back mind back on the promises of God and remember how important every word is. But also remember, I've used this verse before and God's brought me through much worse things. In other words, using your memory helps you to rejoice for what God is about to do. Get you excited to wake up each day instead of looking at the problems, start looking at the fact that God's on the other side of this and there's no temptation, no problem come to us that God cannot turn the situation around. Isn't that good preaching? It's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. I get excited at my own teaching going, Bob, that's good stuff. Write that down, okay? <laughs> Write that down. When your memory again is filled with promises... Your soul can be given faith. 
Faith rises from the Word of God, but didn't say from the written, printed Word of God. It's just from the Word of God. And if I can, if I can pull that thing out. See, the thing of it is, you know, we often think, and, and, and governments have done this for years, trying to take the Bible away from us. We're going to burn all your Bibles. And there's a big stack of them in the street, and they're going up into the air. And they'll say, we're burning the Bible. That is not the Bible. What's in your hand is not the Bible. It's a copy of the Bible. The Bible is the mind of Christ. Amen? If they burn them all, we can get another copy. You understand what I'm saying? We can reprint the things. And we have. Look how many times they burn millions of them and all of a sudden they come right back because you can't burn the mind of Christ. You can take all my Bibles and burn them, but you know what? You can't burn the Bible. It's up here. It's up here. I substituted the mind of Bob for the mind of Christ one day. And now I start thinking like him, remembering like him, and the Word of God stored in me. That's why I forget not all of his benefits. Remember them. How do we keep them alive? Can anybody remember how the Sabbath was kept holy? It's part of the Ten Commandments. Remember it. It didn't say obey it. It just said remember it. Well, Sunday has come along now, and it's not a substitute for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is still Saturday. We just don't worship on that day. We now worship on the Lord's Day. The New Testament calls it the Lord's Day, and they just celebrated that. There was no heavenly reason to do it. God didn't send an edict down. They all decided since Jesus was resurrected on Sunday and started a whole new thing, let's start meeting on Sunday. And God didn't say, no, no, Saturday is it. Keep it, keep it, keep it. No, they did that, and God honored it. Even on the Isle of Patmos, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He used the same phrase, meaning it was just Sunday. So how do we keep it holy? Remember it. Oh, I remember this is Sunday. No, remember what Sunday stands for. New beginnings. It's not really the seventh day of the week. It's not even the first day of the week. It's the eighth day of the week. Remember the Beatles song, Eight Days? Remember? Not that that's spiritual. It even has anything to do with this. <laughs> Bob just, Bob, just forget that one, okay? It just wafted into my brain all of a sudden, eight, you know. No, the eighth day, think about this. Sunday isn't the first day of the week, it's the eighth day of the week. The brand new start. Eight is a day of new beginnings. And the eighth day when Jesus rose from the dead is a whole day of new beginnings. And we set memorials around. You know, car lots don't open on Sunday and, you know, things that used to be closed on Sunday are now open on Sunday. We often get upset at all that. That's not what keeps it holy, making sure the car lots are closed. It's remembering what day it is that keeps it holy. Because I keep it holy for me. Whether you do it for yourself or not, it's up to you. But I'm going to keep it holy. I was raised that on Sunday, you were at the car at the right time getting ready to go to church with mom and dad. You had no choice about it. My dad was strong on the verse of scripture, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bob didn't get to speak up for me because dad spoke up for we. We had to go to church. As long as we lived in the house, we went to church. When I got out of there, I didn't have to go to church, but it was so ingrained in me, I went to church. You may not know this, but when Loretta and I got married, went on our honeymoon, I took her to church on Sunday morning. She said, this is our honeymoon. I said, this is Sunday. <laughs> we go to church on Sunday. She now asked me, would you do that again? I said, well, I might have made an exception if I could go back and do it again. 
but I just thought somehow hell might all break loose if somehow I didn't go to church on Sunday. It was all, again, what God had said. Uh, the anointing of God. Let me just give you some other verses of Scripture. Psalm 145, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. It just says, They will utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. Just remembering the great things God has done for us brings us rejoicing for what's about to come. You want to rejoice about tomorrow? Think about what God has done in the past. And remember something, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, again, forget not all his benefits. All of them means all of them. I think it's important. You know, I think one of the best ways to fulfill that verse of Scripture is keep yourself a journal of the miracles God has done for you. I mean, you know, if God even heals you of, of something, just write it down and put a date on it and keep a journal on it. And then go back and look at what God has done. Because there's sometimes you have to stop and think, well, well, what's God done for me? Go back and it'll surprise you how much God has done for you. It'll surprise you. We sang a song about that growing up. It will surprise you what the Lord's done if you stop and think about it. And so, again, the Word tells us that. Meditating on the promises of God becomes the great teacher. It's the usage of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can use your memory. Just like he uses the word. We often think, well, if I just had a Bible, I could look something up. Think about it. Think about what the promise says, and the Holy Spirit can use that. You can get healed off your memories. We're going to talk about that. It's in the word. To not forget can bring tremendous miracles into your life because you don't actually have to have a copy of the Bible in front of you. The Bible is not a book. It's a copy of the book. The book is up here. I keep it up here. The presence of God. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. I like to think of it this way, too, from what the Word says. Let me give you another verse of Scripture. This is a very interesting verse of Scripture and has been so abused. 1 John 2.27 says this, The anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone teach you. Boy, do we have a bunch of rebels that have grabbed that verse of Scripture. I don't need to go to church. I've got the Bible, all right? I've got the Word to be in. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me because He's the teacher. Don't give me all these people around me. He's the teacher. I want you to notice the difference between the two. How many can vouch for it, you know, that Rick is your pastor? Can I see your hand? Rick is my pastor. Okay. How many glad that Rick is your pastor? Okay. How many glad he's shown you things you've never seen from the Word of God before? How about that? But how do you know you can't take him home with you? Joanne said a big amen. <laughs> I had a lady come to me in church one day, and she said to my wife, she said, does he just quote scripture all week long? And the rest says, well, yeah. And she says, does, he, does his feet kind of float off the floor, and he never touches the ground? She said, no. Has he ever done anything wrong? She said, yes. She said, oh, I wish he could just go home with me and keep me straight. And I said, I can't go home with you and keep you straight. I've got to go home with me and keep me straight. You think I just automatically live this life? You think it just automatically just it falls on me? People have that idea and they wish they could somehow take the pastor home with him. I'm going to read that verse of scripture to you again. Listen to what it says. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Here's the thing about it. He preaches and teaches while I'm at church, but the teacher goes home with me, and everywhere I go, he's there. 
but I need a pastor to show me things I've never seen before because I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be called into his position in this church, nor are you. But you need him. But the point of it is, is he might have said some things, and you go, wow, I'm still thinking about that. But you can go home with the teacher of all teachers because he'll abide with you forever and forever and forever. So this is what we have. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says this. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Start remembering your creator in the word of God from a young age. Why? Before the difficult days come. I'm just confessing I'm not going to have any difficult days. Well, you're on the wrong planet. That's all I can tell you is. This is a fallen world. Satan is here and you're going to have some tough times. Listen, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to have some difficult times. God is guaranteeing you're going to have some difficult times. But what is it that keeps you through it? Remember your creator from the time that you were young. Start at a young age remembering the scriptures, memorizing them, but then meditating on them. More than just memorizing them, meditate on them. I found many that I have memorized after a while forgot them, but I, can't re- I cannot forget when I meditate on a verse, one revelation never leaves me. Never leaves me. Once you have a revelation of the word of God, it will stick with you forever. And that's why, again, the Word of God is teaching us to meditate on it. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years when you'll draw near and you say, I have no pleasure in them. What is it that gives me pleasure today? Remembering the Word of God from a young age. That no matter what day I'm going through, all hell could be breaking loose around me and I can say, this is the best day I've ever had. I'm, what a great day. This is the day the Lord has made. You look around you, it looks like the Lord made today. Yes, he made today. He made today to be successful. He didn't make all the problems of the day, but he's already formed the answers before the problems ever existed. He saw the problems coming and already has my plan for me, has a plan for my life. I can refuse to accept his plan, but if I've been meditating on the Lord from a young age, I have been remembering my creator from the days of my youth. Then when the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say I have no pleasure in them, and he is a living example of it, taught the word of God from a young age, but tried everything else growing up. And literally at the end of his life, if you read the closing of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's basically just depressed. And this statement in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the close of Ecclesiastes, is him telling you, you know, remember the Lord from the days of your youth. I thought about him one day. I meditated on Solomon, and I meditated on David. David wasn't as smart as his son. Jesus admitted that. He said, there has been no smarter man born. There has been no man of greater wisdom next to me than Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man that ever existed. But why didn't he mention that he's the greatest guy of all next to Jesus? He just said wisdom-wise, yes. But David was called a man after God's own heart. And everything revolves around David. Every king tried to follow David. What was the difference? Solomon might have been the wisest man on earth. He just didn't use it. He pulled some pretty dumb stuff. This wise man did some stupid stuff. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and go, is this the same guy that wrote Proverbs? You know, Proverbs shows you your potential. Ecclesiastes shows exactly what he did. Nothing, basically. You know, the book of Proverbs tells you to have a wife. Boy, did he blow that one. (laughs) 700 wives and 300 mistresses. That's a, wow. A thousand of them? Can you imagine buying all those bedrooms? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Closets full of clothes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I thought about it one day. What if he just stayed with one a night? 
how was last night? Oh, wonderful. How was your night? Oh, it's great too. Well, I'll see you three, you know, two years, seven months, and 19 days from today, I'll see you again. And what was your name again? All right, that's the type of life he lived. Every, whatever came to his mind, he went and bought it. I, listen, I'm going to just give you some previews, things I began to study. Solomon wasn't so blessed because he obeyed God. You say, yes, but he's wealthy. Wealth, 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 wealth. You have to read the book to find out what happened to him. The closings of the books of the Old Testament. And in those books, it tells how he got all that money. He taxed the people. When he died and Rehoboam took over, Rehoboam called a, 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 a group of people from the population and said, come and tell me what I should do. They said, stop the taxation. You're killing us. He, he did that just by taking it off the people. And then he brought in the elders of the land, the rulers. They said, listen to them. You start listening to them and, and just being kind to them. They'll fall and do anything that you want. But he didn't listen to them. He listened to his friends who said, you think my dad taxed you? I'm going to tax you even worse. And he split the kingdom. So he wasn't that wise as far as his operations were concerned. But again, he had a lot of wisdom. But the point of it is he didn't remember them from his youth and keep operating them. How do we keep the word of God holy like we keep anything holy? Remember it and then do it. And so again, this is what we do. Again, again, what he said here in Ecclesiastes 12 is remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say I have no pleasure in them. Some of the remembrances that we bring back to us. I like what the word of God has to say. Look with me at Luke chapter 22. Verses 19 and 20. Some forms of our remembrance bring us back to the foundation of our salvation when it first began. And then back to where all salvation began with the work of Jesus on the cross. In Luke chapter 22 verses 19 and 20 it says in Jesus, He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in what of me? Remembrance. Remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. What Jesus was saying was the way that you keep the communion service holy is by remembering. What that piece of bread does is remind you of something. I mean, we usually look at it and say, What kind of bread is it? You know? And we think about it, is this the wisest type of bread to use? Is the wine really wine or is it grape juice? And what brand of grape juice is it? Think it's got any preservatives in it? We go down the list of things when we look at it. <laughs> Folks, it's not the element that's holy. It's remembering what the element stands for that's holy. A piece of bread won't heal you, but remembering what Jesus did on the cross through that piece of bread will bring healing to your body. The power is in the remembering, not in the piece of bread. I don't think God cares if you use root beer and Twinkies. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. If you don't have anything even close to what that's it, and you're just out somewhere, grab the nearest thing to a piece of bread you can find and the nearest thing to something to drink and then look at them and remember it's not this that's going to heal me and bring deliverance and forgiveness of my sins. It's remembering what Jesus did for me on the cross. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember what's in the communion elements and it can change your life and bring healing into your body. It's the simplicity of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look with me at that verse of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What time do I have until 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock? What's that? 
Huh? When I'm done. Okay, well, yeah, but you got another group coming, don't you? Okay, well, we'll just teach them in the parking lot. They can stay out there and hear what's going on in here. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. No, Luke chapter 22. Isn't that the one I just quoted? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And here it says in verse 23 and verse 24, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which was broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Notice where the power comes from. It's not from the bread and it's not from the cup. It's not from having the right type of wine or no wine or grape juice or the right type of bread. And oh, we can't have bread that has leaven in it. Basically, it's this. Who gives a rip? Just, just the point of it is, is just remember what it stands for. This stands for Jesus' broken body so that my body can be mended together. Cancer, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. This piece of bread reminds me of what Jesus did. It's not this bread that's going to drive you out, but what I remember Jesus did for me on the cross. And if there's any sin in your life, that, piece, you know, that little bit of juice isn't going to get rid of your sin. But remembering that Jesus shed his blood for our remission of sins will help you remember right now there's no sin bigger than one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross for me. So, again, it's not the bread or the juice that has the power. It's remembering what Jesus did for you. So, take a look at 1 Corinthians 11 while you're there. Jump down with me to verse 29 and 30. And drinking and eating in an unworthy manner is not remembering what they stand for, making it just a ritual. Don't let ritual become ritual. The New Testament has lots of great ritual in it, much less than the Old Testament, but even Old Testament ritual had a meaning. If you just looked at it for the fact that I brought an oxen and killed it, nothing will happen. If you look at that oxen and represents Jesus Christ coming to save you of your sins, they could get saved in the Old Testament and healed in the Old Testament of what was going to come. We can get healed and saved on what has already happened. But what an animal did was bring remembrance. And what the communion elements does is bring a remembrance. But when it suddenly just becomes a ritual, it loses its power. And that's why he says in verse 29 and 30, He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, it's just something that we do. Oh, it's time for the communion. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Look at verse 30 again. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. What reason? Not discerning the Lord's body. It's not his body that he is. It's discerning what he did on the cross for you. And I want you to notice something else too. That weakness and sickness comes from not discerning the Lord's body, not his blood. His blood was remission of sins. But the stripes he took in his body is for healing. I like to think of it this way. I'm holding the bread in one hand, the cup in the other hand. I think it's interesting you eat the bread first. Isn't that interesting? I would think you drink the, the cup first and get remission of sins, then get healed. More people were healed in Jesus' ministry that were sinners than were, than were believers. He healed the multitudes and afterward it says, and many believed on him. Folks, I'm here to tell you that piece of bread is for the world. It's one of the greatest miraculous introduction to the coming of Jesus' blood right after that that can save you of your sins. It comes back to this. I personally believe that the main reason that healing was given was to wake up the sinner so that he can receive salvation. 
issued one of our greatest tools. Oh, yes, Christians can get healed, but Jesus healed multitudes, and then they got saved right after that. So here it's pointing out again that the purpose of the body was for the healing of our diseases, but we must remember it. So look with me, if you would, at James chapter 5. Remembering in the communion elements about the purpose of the oil, or pardon me, in communion about the, the, uh, the uh, cup and the bread, in laying on of hands there is the oil. Oil won't heal you. Again, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And what's the purpose of the oil? Look at James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? The word actually means not just sick alone, but weak, tired. You prayed, you're so tired, you need some help. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Greek word means the tired one. So he's basically sick because he's just tired of trying and he needs some help around him. Aren't you glad we have the church? Yes. Don't get upset when people come here and say, listen, I just need somebody to pray for me. Oh, you should be able to stand all by yourself. I'm sure you've arrived and never have any problems at all in your life. It's good to know you have a group of believers that you can come to and say, would you just lay hands on me? Man, I've been, I've been trusting God for some time. I just need your faith added to mine. And that's why, again, we have the body of Christ. That's another sermon altogether, but it's so good. It says there, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Notice again, it's not the oil that gets them healed. It's the prayer of faith that gets them healed. The oil is your reminder of the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, people argue it should be this type of oil. It should be olive oil or whatever. Again, I don't care if it's motor oil. Just get yourself some oil. It's not the oil that heals. It's the memory of the oil that heals. Praise God. So grab what you can get and use it. All right. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. We're getting. Deuteronomy chapter 8. What else can memory do for you? Remembering things. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God. It's he who gives you the power to get wealth so that he may establish his covenant, which is in the earth, as he swore to your fathers to this day. It's simply saying here that, that wealth was not given to you to heap on yourself. Finances are given to you to be a blessing to get people saved. Look at my new car. That's wonderful. I'm glad you've got a new car. I hope your priorities, though, are on, first of all, giving to God and not to get your car. Because I can tell you this, your car is temporary, but every soul you get is eternal. You won't, you won't haul your BMW up into heaven, okay? It won't be there. It's down here. On top of that, it wears out. And you need something else after a while. But the Bible doesn't say that angels rejoice over every Christian that gets to buy a new car because of prosperity. That's a blessing. And again, I admit it, God did that. But that's not the main reason he gave you. Remember the Lord your God. He gave you the power to get wealth that his covenant may be established, which is in the earth. And remember that the first thing I'm going to do with my finances is give into the kingdom of God. And I'll have so much left over, I can still get myself a new car. Keep your priorities. And that's what your memory can do. Remembering the Lord your God. The memory that you have can literally turn into a living reputation. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 7 says, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will not survive. It comes back to it again that people can have a great memory of you. Oh, wasn't that church wonderful? Remember that wonderful pastor? What a great pastor they had at the church. His name was Rick. 
And after he's gone one day and others around, that your memory can last in this earth and can become part of other people's memory. But it all points back to the greatest one of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you. Remembering the word can establish you in the truth, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. Remembering the word can establish you in the truth. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Pastor's going to teach on that again. He's already taught on that before, as if you got everything the first time, or the second time, or the tenth time. And Peter says it here in these verses of Scripture, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you've heard it before. We need to hear it again. First of all, we might hear something we've heard before and it jogs our memory, but you know what? You can always hear something. Did he say that? I don't remember that. There's people come to me and say, Pastor, that was wonderful. Have you ever taught on that before? And I think, yes, I have. But I have to stop and remember something. I didn't grab it the first time. Sometimes it was the fourth time, the fifth time, the tenth time, and you just keep hearing it again. And what it's doing it is it's driving it deeper in your, remember, in your memory and establishing you in the present truth. We need to be stabilized and established in the present truth. So remembering the word can bring security into your life. In the midst of the worst times, you can be secure in his promises. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Whoa. In the word of God, memorials were set up. Memorial comes from the word memory or memory comes from the word memorial. It's all part of the same thing. When they crossed the Jordan River to come into the promised land and the waters backed up, they set 12 stones out there, one for each of the 12 tribes in the middle of the Jordan River. And you say, yeah, but it was all covered up with water. That was in the good times. Sometimes there was drought and the Jordan River would go down. But when the Jordan River came down, there was that memorial still standing there to remind them that it was God that brought them into that promised land, not themselves. You see, when did they remember that in the worst of times when the droughts came? Droughts will come into your life. Look back on those memorials that are suddenly exposed. God said, he'll keep me in the midst of every bad situation. Satan Throw your worst at me. I'll still be standing on the other side. You want to knock me down, I'll get back up. Pretty soon you're going to be on the mat and I'll be standing when it's all said and done. I'm going to come through this. That's the memorials we have in the Word of God. Loretta and I have memorials too in our own life. I was uh, at Northeastern A&M in Tulsa, I mean in Oklahoma. It's a kind of a theater school for OSU. And I was just a nerd. Didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of plans for life. Raised in church, loved Jesus, went to church while I was there, but really had no plans for the future. Didn't even know what I was good at. Didn't even know if I was good at anything. And they made us take a speech class. When I stood up for the first time and made a speech and people were laughing and going, yeah, yeah, I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. I found out I had a gift. But the gift wasn't exposed until somebody put me under pressure and made me stand up and speak. And I look back at that. So I, was, I, was, I haven't gone back to that school much, but I was going up to, to Joplin one day and drove right past it. So I went in there and I made sure I drove right by that classroom and stared at it. That's where I found out I could speak. Wow. Since then, I just kept adding to it. 
It wasn't me, but something had to happen for me to discover it. And so I look back on that. That room, after driving by there, brought back memories upon memories upon memories of Bob the nerd finding out he had a call on his life to do something. When I was at Oklahoma State University, it was in my junior year where the Lord told me I would be a teacher in the body of Christ. I still remember the room. I went by to look at it the other day and they tore the door, dorm down. So I thought, uh, I'm okay. I did get over that, okay? But I remembered where that room was on the top floor, on the corner room where I was and remembered that time. I was at, I was at Kenneth Hagin Ministries just working there and I had just left the job I did before. And I made a lot of money on that previous job. But they fired me for the wrong reason. Somebody lied about me. They fired me, told me to get out. So I went and I finally ended up going to work for Kenneth Hagin Ministries at one half of what I had made on that job. My wife had to go back to work to take care of our children. And I'd been at that office there for probably about six or seven weeks. And the phone rang one day. In my office, the phone rang. It was my previous employer. And they said, we found out you were lied about. We searched into this thing and we so apologize for what we did to you. The store has not done as good since you've left. We want to bring you back and we'll pay you double what we paid before. Well, my lightning fast brain went, wow, that's four times what I'm making under Kenneth Hagan. And I looked at that and I, I mean, I looked at that phone and I, I said, no, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I said, thanks anyway. So I hung up the phone then stared at the phone for about 20 minutes. Bob, are you stupid? <laughs> Are you sure you did the right thing? And I look back at it today, thank God I stuck with it because that was the open door to so many great things of my life. Then I was asked while I was working there to teach at Rayma Bible Training Center and doors began to open up. My wife and I were driving down the street one day down the Broken Arrow Expressway and we drove right across Memorial, Memorial Street under it. I never stopped to think about it until years later, Memorial. I was driving right across Memorial. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to pastor the church. I was there, my wife and I, when the church began. One pastor had already been there for, for five years, was gone. The next one was there almost for two years. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to pastor the church. My first thought was, wait a minute. He says he'll be there for the next 30 years of his life. Are you giving me a 28-year advance notice on this thing? <laughs> you know that this is going to happen? But anyway, I, I remember it was so specific. And when I got home, I told Loretta, and she said, yeah, I've known it for about a month that we would be pastoring the church. But that's my memorial. And every time I drive down that freeway and drove down that exact spot, and remember memorials, I remember what the Lord spoke to me. Memorials in your life are important. Amen. That you can go back and point at a place, and that's where the Lord spoke to me. And when Satan comes to you, and you may not be able to remember a scripture, you can remember an instant where there's no way it could have been anybody else but God who spoke to you at that time because it came to pass. And he lets you know ahead of time, oh, memorials are so important. Whenever we got that, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I was in my office preparing for the Wednesday night service. He had me teaching a class while he did some other things, the pastor, but I was getting prepared for that class, and Loretta walked into my office and said, he's going to quit in one week. One week from tonight, he's going to quit, walk out of the church. And so that's exactly what happened. One week later, I was teaching my class. I saw him out in the back holding a board meeting, and 20 minutes later, he walked out the door. And the board came to me and said, would you just preach until we can find somebody? And I said, yeah. But I knew what was going on. The Lord, I remember my bridge. And I remember the Lord speaking to me. It would be the church that I would pastor. So again, I like to think of this way too. Look at Matthew chapter 16. We'll end on this one. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 8. 
The disciples are in the boat. They've just come from the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. And a storm breaks out. And they're all, in, they're all getting upset. And it says in verse 8, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. They were hungry. They, the things, things weren't going too good. And they thought, oh, we didn't bring any bread with us. He said, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves or the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? That was 12 baskets. Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? They took up seven at that time. How is it you don't understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? He said to them they have no bread. Or he mentioned bread to them. They said, oh, it must be because we didn't bring any bread. Let me tell you what it was. The bread he was referring to was the memories of the past things they came through. You guys have forgotten something. I'm not talking about a loaf of bread in your hand. It's not the bread. It's what the bread reminds you of that will bring you through these circumstances. You know what, you know what your memory is? Your memory is the box that you put the leftovers in. That you can open up at some time and warm it up and eat it and go, oh, I remember that. Oh, what God came through so great. How a wonderful thing. You can close it back up and fill it up, open it up again, pull out another one, stick it, nuke it in the microwave and go, oh, yes, I remember that meal. That's all your memory is, is to open up and pull out a fragment of something that happened years ago and go, wow, if he did it for me then, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. Oh, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. Father, we bless you today. Father, thank you. We're about to enter into a great week at the training center, Father, the Bible school. We thank you for Andrew and the work that's done, and Father, the great things happening in Karis. But Father, we're looking forward to a week when we can be just shaken again to remember the goodness of you in the past, your grace, your mercy, the faith that you've operated through and changed our lives completely. Father, let this be a great time of rejoicing, seeing people we haven't seen for years, and drawing back on memories of the past, but Lord, helping us to understand that if you've done it before, you'll do it again. Father, the world looks like a mess, but it's been in worse condition than this in the past, and Father, you've pulled us through every single time. And we just simply draw out of our memory the fact that you said that you have a great thing coming. And Jesus Christ is coming back to rule this world like he rules our life. And Father, in the meantime, no matter how bad the world gets, you haven't lost the recipe for manna. You can still supply for us every single day. And we rejoice in that. Our trust is not in our government. Our trust is not in the Congress or the Senate. Our trust is not in the laws of man, but our laws, Father, our trust is in you. For you have never failed us, nor will you ever fail us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Sharon and I knew we were going to come and visit. And Saturday night, I had a dream. And in the dream, so everybody stole my message, but I'm going to say what God had to say. In the dream, the Lord said, why are you so fearful and how is it you have no faith? Remember who you are. Remember that you're still filled with the Holy Ghost. 
Remember that you still have the message of the gospel. Remember that you are the answer, for the answer will not come from without, but the answer will come from within. Why are you so fearful, and why is it that you have no faith? Turn your eyes off of what is going on in the world and remember who you are. For my answer to you to activate you in this current time is remembrance and identity. Hallelujah. And the Lord is saying, do not let your heart fail. And then the Lord also said that. I really believe that was to the younger generation and, and, and it applies to everybody. But then I also heard the Lord say this. He said, the younger, the, the older, the more, the more mature generation, your heart is failing you because you're being overwhelmed by regret. What could have, what should have, and what could have happened. Possibilities. But the Lord is saying, do not allow your heart to fail you because of regret, but engage and make the impartation into the younger generation so that they could step into their identity and be the answer that this time needs. <laughs>